I would hope that there are several passages in our scriptures that uh, if we started them, most of us would be able to complete the Beatitudes or, or certain verses, um, hopefully the Our Father. Uh, but I have to admit, today's gospel is one of those that I, as a priest, would be able to save from completion uh, because it's uh, a passage that we've prayed. I've prayed with countless people for uh, uh, the anointing of the sick. It's a passage that is given for funerals, and it is also a passage, a gospel passage, that's uh, recommended for the Feast of the Sacred Heart. That being said, I am so excited about the next Feast of the Sacred Heart. The last two have been phenomenal. Uh, this year's Feast of the Sacred Heart, just a few weeks ago, of course, it was the infamous Dodgers game in which uh, they were honoring uh, the uh, scandalous group that uh, blasphemes our Lord and Our Lady. And there were only 100 people in there for that actual presentation while thousands were outside praying. And uh, uh, somebody pointed out uh, recently the Dodgers had the most, the largest loss in, in 125 years, I think it is, of baseball history, 15 to zero. Uh, that is embarrassing, but after they blasphemed our Lord, perhaps uh, he's sending them a reminder. Last year, if you remember, Feast of the Sacred Heart was the Hobbes decision, which uh, reversed Roe versus Wade and, and sent the issue of abortion back to the states. Of course. We live in a state that has only doubled down on abortion. We need to continue to work for that. But the Feast of the Sacred Heart, those, uh, it's a feast that reminds us that Jesus is not a wimp. And so often we might get that idea. And that's part of what, where my mind is going with, with these readings today. We hear this invitation of our Lord, first of all, to come to him. To come to him. If we want to know the Father, we need to come to him. He's the one that reveals the Father to us, the only one who reveals the Father to us, the only one who reveals the Father in truth to us. Oh, there's all sorts of other things that say, well, here's the Father, here's God, this is God. Uh, you, you, you go ahead and grab this crystal or, or do this, this, make this potion or, or pray to this angel or God or, or demon is what it ends up being. But only Jesus reveals the Father to us. And many of us, instinctively, we know, I'm not talking us, but in this world, we want God. We want truth. We're created for truth, and we keep searching for it. But we don't want truth in sometimes the way that Jesus presents that truth, because sometimes, let's admit, his truth is hard. His truth demands, makes demands of us. It asks us to live lives of holiness, of, of morality, that sometimes we'd rather do our own thing, if we're honest. But Jesus reveals the Father to us and reveals truth to us and judges us rightly. If we choose against him, if we choose to follow our own ways, how can we be mad at him for giving, him, for giving us what we want? If we want a life separated from God the Father, he's going to give it to us. As uh, I think it was Fulton Sheen said, at one point we have to say, thy will be done. Or when we stand before God the Father in the final judgment, he will say, thy will be done. We need Jesus to reveal the Father to us. But he invites us to come to rest, especially uh, when we are labored and heavy burdened. But there's something amazing about this. He, he invites us to take his yoke upon us. 
Now, those that are familiar with the yoke, you, you might be aware it's, it's an instrument of labor, not rest. So come to me and rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. That just seems to be oxymoronic, isn't it? They say oxy pur- purposely. Because uh, with the yoke, something amazing happens. If you remember back a few years, and I'm not the first one to share this, I'm sure, but uh, just a reminder that when two oxen are properly yoked, they don't do two times of work, but four times of work. When four oxen are properly yoked together, they don't do four times of work or eight times of work, they do 16 times of work of an oxen. So the Lord inviting us to take his yoke upon our shoulders and learn from him, he's inviting us to work less, knowing that he's working with us, and he, with his infinite grace, infinite strength, infinite mercy can do so much more. This is where our rest comes from. Not from being lazy or not from not working at all, but rather cooperating with him. And he tells us he is meek and humble of heart. And therein is the line that we might get the most wrong. So often uh, when we think meek, we might think uh, of a word that it rhymes with. We might think weak. We might think a pushover, a doormat, somebody easily overlooked, somebody who's just cowering in a corner somewhere, somebody who's soft. That's not what meekness is at all. In fact, uh, the best image for meek in the, uh, that uh, I've heard is of a war horse, a well-trained war horse is meek, not timid, but meek. One who is able to be led into the, into the wages and, and the noise of the battle. One who is able to have all of hell seemingly break loose around it and still trust its rider, knowing that the rider is going to try to keep the horse safe, docile to the, to the rider and to the rider's instruction. Being able to go where the rider wants the horse to go, that's what meekness is. It's strength. It's strength to be meek. And this humble of heart, it is rooted, of course, in humility, that great Christian virtue that we are all invited to have. And so often when we hear humility, we think it means making less of ourselves. No, that isn't it at all. I, I use the example of maybe way too frequently, but uh, it was the, the most uh, pointed example I've, I have. There was a young, young woman in ninth grade, and she was, uh, when I was teaching, and she was asked to play for the school mass. How many ninth graders do you know willing and able to play music for a school mass? But for a communion reflection, she played a piece a classic piece of, of music, and I don't remember whether it was Bach or Beethoven, but she just spontaneously played it from memory. She didn't have the music in front of her, and she played it flawlessly. It was absolutely beautiful. It was very appropriate for the, the mass of the day, and, and I looked out and saw so many of the teens with tears in their eyes because it was so gorgeous. And the next day in class, I, I thanked her publicly for playing that piece, and oh, no, no, no. No, no, I didn't play it very well. She thought that was humility. That wasn't. That was false humility, perhaps. The humility for her would have been 
perhaps to say thank you. God has given me a great gift, and I'm so thankful I'm able to share it. Now, for me to say, I'm a great pianist, Ruth has already heard this, and, and I apologize, but I'm a great pianist because when I play, when I'm done, everyone applauds. Now, that might be true, but not because I'm a great pianist. It's because the noise has stopped. For me to say I'm a great pianist is not humble. It's, a, it's not even pride. It's, it's something else. It's not even in this world. Humility means to be grounded in truth. So for us to say we are trying to serve our Lord, that's not humble, or that's not prideful. And that, that, that's humble if we're truly try, striving to praise the Lord. For us to say God has given us certain talents, if that's the truth, if we're not being prideful and boastful of that, it's true. Hopefully you see that this meekness and this humility are places of strength. It's, it's, yes, it's sometimes to be quiet and to let things happen and, and those things not to have, have our hearts so easily disturbed, but they're of strength. And I think because we've uh, taught the opposite, that, that meekness and humility is, is making less of ourselves, it means uh, becoming little and small and weak and all those things, we live in a church that so often is seen as, and this is, I'm trying not to be offensive, perhaps I am, but so often we, we live in a, in a society that says anyone who practices their faith is kind of effeminate. That, that church is something for old women. No, we don't have any old women around here. We have mature and slightly more mature. But uh, that, that, that mass, going, coming to mass or the rosary or devotion to the, the sacred heart or devotion to Our Lady or to all these devotions that we have is something for women, but not, certainly not for men. And so we see less and less men coming. But if we really understood this gospel passage and took Jesus at his word, we would realize that this is not just for women, but most especially for men, for all of us, that all of us are called to be meek and humble of heart like our Lord, but not weak, not a doormat. After all, consider the moment when Jesus Christ is most meek and humble on the cross. He allowed his sacred heart to be pierced for love of us. That had to hurt. It's probably the understatement of the century. He, in strength, willingly took the cross for us and by the cross put to death, death itself. As we hear in St. Paul's uh, letter today that, uh, to the Romans, that if the spirit of the one who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us, then the spirit who raised Christ from the dead will raise also our mortal bodies. That he gives us strength even in this life. He gives us and invites us to be meek, not a weak, but a docile to that Holy Spirit that raises us up, able to go where the Lord wants us to do, able to enter the battle. I use the image of battle horse purposely because there is a battle that's waging. It's a battle that is terrible and, and hidden. As St. Paul tells us, it's not a battle against flesh and blood, but rather about against angels and principalities and powers, those that would seek to put us off the path to God. And in this battle, there are no bystanders. There were either soldiers for God or soldiers for the evil one and victims. I don't know about you, but I don't want us to be victims. We're called to be soldiers. 
And when we use this language, so often if we're caught in that world that the church is, is a place for the weak and the effeminate, and, and, and again, try not to, but it's not the place for men, we, we might say, no, we don't want to use that language. A few years ago, uh, I heard of a group uh, that was very, very upset uh, with, uh, I think it was the Casey's, who said, men, carry your weapon, your rosary. Oh, we shouldn't call the rosary a weapon. Well, there's a battle, and the rosary is the greatest weapon in that battle, not against flesh and blood, but against Satan himself. Now, I'm not naive enough to believe there's a demon around every corner or under, under every rock. I'm, that's not what I'm saying. But there is a battle, and we need to take our place in that battle. And to know that sometimes that battle gets strong. And once we become aware of that battle, the amazing thing is we become more aware of that battle. Once we realize that there is a battle to be fought, we see it being fought. And we can live in our lives with our eyes blind to the battle. That doesn't mean the battle isn't there. The battle is real. It is here. It is fought not only with the culture of of death and the gospel of life or in human sexuality, or, and this is not, I haven't seen it yet, but there's a particular movie out, Sound of Freedom, about child exploitation being sold in, into slavery. And there's a battle even there of protecting the very truth that our children are being sold. And today I read a, read a news report of somebody, a newscaster, who disparages the movie because it's all hype. It's all made up. No, no, no. There is a battle. It's underneath the surface. We need to become aware. To grow and follow our Lord who calls us to be meek and humble of heart. To know that, yes, perhaps we're labored and heavy burdened, but he fixes his yoke upon us. He tells us his yoke is easy. So often we might dismiss that word easy as just light and, and uh, uh, you know, not that significant. But that isn't really what the word means. It means e- easy-fitting, well-fitting, well-formed. Our Lord, the carpenter's son, who formed the yoke for us, that it fits us well. And when it fits well, the burden is light. Not a burden halved by the share, but a burden quartered by physics. We come this day asking the Lord to help us to be aware of the battle, to be aware that we all have a role in this battle, and that we would take our side with our Lord who calls us, who strengthens us, with all the saints and angels who stand and pray for us and defend us, and that we would defend the most innocent in this battle, those who would be victims that we could stand strong against the forces of evil.